What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. The views and the opinions expressed are those of your host and our guest. In 2023, this is our first episode. We took a brief reprieve as we wrapped up the year. Our guest is Fire Chief Josh Stefansik. Now, we talk about mentoring, we talk about management, we talk about education, we talk about the importance of relationships, fantastic conversation, and I hope you enjoy. Check it out. Chief Josh Stefansik, thank you for sitting down and talking to me and, and being a guest on the Fireground Fitness Podcast. Um, I want to talk about... Uh, I want to talk about your career trajectory. I want to talk about you know what you do in your organization and you know as the vice chair in IFSTA, what what that's about and, and why people should participate in IFSTA, right? Um, or in why firefighters should participate in any uh, extracurriculars, and because uh, I think there's lots of value in participating in organizations outside your primary day to day job duties. Um, and then of course I want to talk about whatever kind of comes to mind for you that you think is important and valuable to share with uh with our audience so i don't know if i told you this but the hook of this show is we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fire ground awesome so anything pertaining to what we do the business of of emergency services etc um so all that let's start with uh Tell me a little bit about who you are. Sure. Well, first off, uh, thanks for having me here. I appreciate the uh, opportunity to be uh, on your show, which uh, I know you've been doing great work. And uh, I guess uh, you know, long-time listener, first-time caller. Oh, so uh, well, thanks for uh, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. And absolutely. And first off, you passed the first test. You you said my last name perfectly. I've had it. I have heard it so many different ways. I but I always respond, and um, you got it. So I, I appreciate it. You need to know that I spent. The night practicing. Okay. So. <laughs> All right. Well, well, job well done. So, um, you know, thank, thanks for having me here. Um, started full-time in the fire service in 2001, but the story sort of begins a little bit before there. Um, and uh, I was thinking about this before we, you know, when you said we, we were going to, you were interested in talking and, and, and just thinking about some things. And it really starts off with uh, – at home and um, with with my family being raised in the Chicago suburbs and my father a physician, but my my uncle on my mother's side a Chicago firefighter, who started in you know around in the late 1960s during the Martin Luther King riots and uh, grew up in the city and I just I just always been um, excited about the profession of being a firefighter. I just uh, I mean like I think like all of us you me a lot of your listeners just never grew out of it and just always had that knack, um, for the fire department. Uh, I was a buff, you know, during high school, I was a buff. I loved, I I could tell you everything about our local fire department, but the Chicago fire department. So so when when you say grow up in the suburbs of Chicago, tell me a little bit like, what's that look like and and where's it at? Sure. So Southwest suburbs out Orland park, Illinois, um, which is about 30 minutes from downtown. Uh, my parents grew up in uh, the city and uh, they raised us in the suburbs. So, um, you know, uh, not a, a good middle-class community, um, uh, good friends, uh, uh, safe community, and uh, good fire department, expanding community suburbs from the, from the city. And during high school, I had the opportunity at 16 years old, so not just to be this this fan of it, but um, I heard about an Explorer program. Oh, okay. uh, And it was the Frankfurt Fire District, which was uh, adjacent community. 
and walked in there, 16, 17 years old. And um, here was this thing, this outlet I found every week, like-minded people to come together at a firehouse. And, you know, you look back at it now, um, like several mentors, right? Uh, several here in IFSA who I've worked with, but my very first career mentor, Pat Collier, still remember. Still remember, that's awesome. If you're picturing what Pat Collier looks like, this Irish fireman, that's exactly what this Irish Pat Collier looks like. And you think of it, when you when you go every Tuesday night for three hours, you were, uh, yeah, this is cool, but it was cool. And I look back at it, and I think of the time that Pat Collier didn't have any kids there. Pat Collier was a firefighter giving his time back to these high school kids. And uh, we're spending time in the firehouse yeah. just learning about the job. So that was really my first, like, taste and this affirmation that I want to stay in the fire service. Yeah. How many kids were in that program? So there were probably about 15 to 20 of us. Oh, pretty big and, program. Uh, yeah, it was good. And we were all from uh, – there weren't a lot of Explorer programs then for some reason. It was just this um, – it wasn't this common thing in that area. And so did two years with that. And I knew I'd want to be a firefighter. I knew that's what I wanted to do. And How did your parents out, feel about that? They were um, – so I come from a supportive family. I don't know what it's like to grow up in a household that doesn't have parental support. Like it's yeah. like, I've been very blessed and, and uh, privileged with that. And it, it was, I could be whatever I want, but um, you know, it was really drilled into us. You're going to college and you're going to school just because of the options that will be afforded, afforded to you. Right. So, um, you know, there was definitely the swaying of, ah, are you sure you want to do that? You know, it's a, <laughs> we know there's some safety issues and then, yeah. but, well, having a dad that's a physician, like clearly academia right. is, is part of the program Absolutely. and not, a, it's probably a non-negotiable for him, right? Like it's not a thing. And, um, so that puts a certain amount of pressure, uh, because there is this idea that being a firefighter is very blue collar right. and, uh, you know, not necessarily above the fray when it comes to, sure. uh, you know, his profession, what he's doing. Right. right? So just this difference and, yeah. um, but I was always into it, but at the same time in high school, it's just a funny sidebar story. I did speech team. I did, you know, plays and stuff. And uh, I enjoyed speaking in front of people. I just, uh, I thrived on it. I had fun doing it. So as I'm, as I'm looking to figure out how I could become a firefighter, my dad is sending me stuff from, you know, Broadway theater trained in New York City. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I will pay for you to be a poor uh, actor, you know, in New York, uh, whatever you want to do. So, um, uh, but they finally, they've always supported me. And yeah. I started looking at schools. Um, and once again, next mentor pops up and it's the chief of the local fire department, um, of the town I'm living in, in Orland Park, Illinois. And, uh, Bob Hughes, I still, re still remember him. And I asked him, I, I told my story what I wanted to do. And he goes, well, I have two employees. One went to Oklahoma state university and one went to Eastern Kentucky university. So I said, well, where should I go? And he goes, if I were you, you should, you should really look at Oklahoma state. I had never heard of Oklahoma State University. Why, right. why would I, right? right. And um, so I take both schools into consideration and, you know, plan the family trips to go look at both Eastern Kentucky. So this is 1996. Uh, Eastern Kentucky, Oklahoma State, and Stillwater. So the night before we're supposed to go to Eastern Kentucky University, uh, my dad has a kidney stone. So we cancel the trip. Uh, <laughs> never make it Never make it to Eastern Kentucky, but we make it to Oklahoma State. And... Um, um, I was done. I'm like, this, this is it. This is where I want to go. Mm, what was the, what was the big attraction for you? Uh, probably I think the, I know, but I want to right? hear you say it. So probably this flyer <laughs> I got and it said like West point of the fire service, I'm like West point of the fire service. Okay. This is, this is cool. Let me keep digging. 
And then, um, you know, we had a t- we had an essentials manual as explorers. We all had our own dedicated essentials ah, yeah, manuals. Okay. And I start flipping through there, and uh, I start making this connection: uh, Oklahoma State, uh, IFSTA. Right. And I'm like, man, this is uh this must be uh this must be legit. And um, just uh, love the campus. Uh, the program was for me. Like-minded people again and um of uh fire protection students and i knew oklahoma state offered a fire protection program so there were just Mm -hmm. different areas you could go into but um i'm like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna pursue the path of oklahoma state so that was uh that was it okay i need you to educate me a little bit because when i think about fire protection programs and and osu to me that's fire engineering right right? so what is the offering so some a kid who's coming down the pipeline today wants to go to osu what is his available so there's programs. really like these these three tracks and um, fire protection, uh, industrial hygiene, and safety. So when I went to school and graduated, people went into it wasn't everybody became a firefighter and we didn't learn how to become a firefighter, but we learned about fire. We learned about fire behavior. We learned about creating better uh, safe workplaces. We learned about industrial hygiene. So we got into hazmat. Um, and so we have people who graduate our program, Oklahoma State University School of Fire Protection. They go into the oil industry. Hmm. They go um, into any type of industry. So if you pass like uh, Jim Bean, uh, uh, the uh, Jack Daniels plants, you know, they, they all have safety engineers. Right. Um, I have friends who I graduated with, are, uh, they're safety engineers at meatpacking plants. And um, every hospital needs safety engineers. And then um, the fire protection field, so doing private design for sprinklers and you know that uh, Oklahoma State has I think it was this realization when um uh just to speed up a little bit and I'll go back I went up to Emmitsburg Maryland in November at the United States Fire Administrator had their she had her summit and I went as an IFSA representative and I remember flying up there and it was just this moment of I cannot and would not have been here without Oklahoma State University. Mm-hmm. And just this theme of my career, my friends, my success, based off Oklahoma State University and those mentors and my family that allowed me to do that. Um, uh, I just, you know, I can't, exp- I, don't, I don't know how any other way to, to share how grateful I am to it. But um, uh, so just so many options from Oklahoma State. So I came out, and graduated this program in 2001 of not necessarily, I wasn't certified to be a firefighter, but I had these foundational principles of everything that led to it that has still to this day uh, benefited me in my uh, operational and administrative career. Yeah. Well, and you, what I really appreciate what you said there is recognizing the path that you took and the gratitude that you have for the people who kind of opened doors and nudged right. you and offered their opinions, which shaped and informed your perspective. And sure. that's so important, I think, just in general terms. Right. Um, and you do owe a debt of gratitude to your dad's kidney stone uh, <laughs> because Absolutely. you might have got distracted yeah. with Kentucky. Hey, you <laughs> know, I, I will have to say, too, my dad, uh, he was uh, he was my he was definitely my instructor on becoming a man, my very first management instructor. You know, really? I'm a big fan of management. And uh, my dad used to take me to the hospital on Sundays to do rounds with him. I... But I didn't realize until I got older that, hey, I was the youngest of four boys. There was also some benefit to my mother and everything of watching four boys. But 
see how my dad interacted in doing rounds, um, mm-hmm. to see how he treated patients, to see how he treated nurses, to see how he treated fellow doctors. You cannot tell the difference um, when my dad talked to you as a Dr. Stefansic, whether was that a doctor, was that a nurse, was that a patient? It was this genuine, authentic, real conversation. And, um, you know, I was just thinking about that, all these mentee mentors I've had and, uh, mm-hmm. who was that first manager and it was my dad, just the way, like he had, he had staff at his office, just the way he, he treated them. And his big thing was get the job done, you know, just be there when I need you. Um, family comes first. Um, let me remove those obstructions to get to where you, where you need to go. So, mm. um, but the mentor mentee thing, I think is such a big, important thing. I've had them. I have them today. I will have new ones in the future. But then at some point we need to make this, um, uh, at some point we who have been mentored become the mentors. Mm-hmm. And that started, uh, I've had that, I have that opportunity and, you know, it, it starts happening probably sooner than you think, or maybe sometimes without you even knowing that you're, you're mentoring people. Um, right. Well, I think those initial first times uh, are not necessarily deliberate efforts to be a mentor. Right. Right. They're just somebody seeks you out and you say, well, yeah, I'm happy to help you. And you find yourself in a mentor position. Sure. Um, and I, it's fun and exciting. Yeah. It's exciting to see. Uh, so I was taken off to, and I apologize for jumping around, no, no. but uh, I was taken off for this conference. Right. We're here in Tulsa at the mm-hmm. Winter IFSA conference and I was taken off uh, from Tampa and- I was telling this to my district chief last night who I just touched in. I didn't have to touch in. We don't have to touch in, but just I enjoy touching in. And uh, we're talking about the day, and I told him, I said, uh, man, I can't, I can't thank you enough that – and I was thinking about this, and I was taking off from Tampa, looking over um, Tampa Bay, over the wing, and how calm I am and how I will peacefully sleep knowing that the organization is in good hands. Mm-hmm. And um, – I think that's good for him to hear. It's good for all of them to hear, but it's yeah. also so important for me to realize too. To acknowledge that, it. Yeah. The city safety harbor is in good hands. And right. um, now it took us time to get there. Um, and we're always going to focus on continuous improvement, but it's such a cool, peaceful thing uh, to know. But it takes work from us, right? We have we can't just sit there and expect it to happen. We right. as managers have to nurture that and intentionally do it. Um, right. It's a 24-7 deal. Right. Well, I want to I want to dig in on that a little bit, but I want to circle back. So, let's so before you ended up as the fire chief, right? Some yeah, things so had let to me yeah, let me speed get, it up a little bit. So, so take me back to when you became a firefighter. Absolutely. So, two thousand one, uh, I'm barking on graduating, uh, and and I'm I'm going back to the Chicago suburbs. That's home. That's where I grew up. Now in Illinois, you had to be twenty one to start testing to be a full time firefighter. Uh, that's just the way it was. You had to be twenty one. You couldn't be older than thirty five. And, you know, like I said, I started researching this in high school. So I knew, hey, I could be 20 and a half and I could start testing. <laughs> I you. And now, you know, it's funny. It wasn't the social media. We didn't have social media there. Oh, no, you had to make phone calls. Oh, yeah, 2000, <laughs> 2001. So I had a, a subscription service oh, to, yeah. uh, it, I got it by mail once a month of who was testing. So um, I started flying back to Illinois uh, and, and doing some uh, civil service tests. So I remember going back and I did a test. It was a, uh, the, a consortium. It was about six or seven different departments in the north suburbs of Chicago. Uh, two sessions, two sessions of 500 people testing. Mm. So 
Stefanic, I'm in the second session. They're, you know, I fly up on a Friday. The test is in the afternoon. This is my first civil service exam. Now, I did all the prep books. I met with my uh, my uncle, another uncle who's a high school math teacher because I had to learn, I had to relearn multiplying fractions and, you know, it's just stuff we forget about. Right. But uh, I remember going there and doing that written test and uh, I was the last one out. I double checked every answer. I looked over it all and uh, I remember the proctor was a lieutenant from a department and I said, man, I'm sorry. He goes, no, man, this is your job. This is your lottery ticket. So do what you need to do. Um. So I was in the top 20 out of a thousand, but, um, uh, once again, different, different, different time is some of the struggles we're dealing with now. Yeah. You know, 50 people out of a thousand people got hired. And, uh, my very first senior guy, um, Jim Bent, uh, day one told me, how's it feel? I said, how's what feel? This is Wilmette, Illinois. Wilmette, Illinois hires me. Uh, great department, first department. He goes, how's it feel to win the lottery? Hmm. And I, nobody ever told me that. And I'm like, man, you're right. I got a man. I'm a firefighter. I am a fire. I, like I, I dream was, I was realized. The dream realized, you know, <laughs> 24, 48 hour shift. You know, I, I still remember riding backwards and uh, uh, laughing and giggling in the back that it's happened. Like this is, this is what I wanted. Yeah. Um, and uh, great community uh, served with Wilmette for about five or six years. And on my days off, I worked as a fire inspector um, for the neighboring organization which was only done because of Oklahoma State University. Right. And I remember getting hired in Wilmette, the deputy chief. I'm going to tie it back to Oklahoma State. He goes, hey, man, you know, big fan of Oklahoma State. I know what they're, know what they're doing down there. So, you know, we're really happy to, to, to have you here, you know. And now I was the rookie, you know, and I did rookie things. I was, uh, I was mentored. Um, I, I messed up. Uh, there were those things they, they had to keep me in the box. I went through those spells of I'm good. I got it. I don't, I don't need anybody, <laughs> yeah. you know? Well, and, and on top of all that, you're still just 20 years old. You know, so you're just 20 a, years you're old. Still 20 year old. Yeah. yeah. Still kid. And, uh, and what was, I think what also helped me, uh, really succeed is, uh, I'm the youngest of four boys. So through older brothers, this really, I'd been getting training on firehouse, uh, survival <laughs> for 20 some years. Right. Yep, Absolutely. So working in Wilmette and then working as a part-time fire inspector on my days off. And then also, uh, I was working at Comiskey park where the white Sox played as a off duty as a, uh, I was off duty, but I was a paramedic EMT or whatever off duty medic. Yeah. I thought I was going to go watch baseball games. <laughs> I did not know the work I would be doing. Like of these things that were happening, like people getting hit by balls, by bats, um, uh, fights in the parking lot. I'm like, okay, this is, this is a little bit different. So right. good experience. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, always been, just been a fan of education. Still I'm a fan of, uh, education and, um, re-enrolled in grad school. Um, I wanted to get a master of public administration, but, uh, I ended up graduating, uh, seven years later, I did a part-time program through Oklahoma state. I did their FEMP program. So fire and emergency management program. I got a master of science in fire and emergency administration. And um, I just knew at that point, I was getting to this point of, I love being a firefighter. And I, I, it is the absolute best job in the world. But I just want to do, I want to do a little bit more. I wanted more responsibility. Mm -hmm. And um, another mentor, Brad Clark, um, chief and deputy chief in Palm Coast, uh, past IFSA chair. At this time, I, uh, I, I knew Brad and, you know, Brad, Brad just sort of said, hey, you know, to get where you want to go, you may, you know, open up, look around, you know, you may have to leave the Chicago area, you know, you, you don't know, you know, you could stay where you're at, but you don't know what else is out there. Like, 
it's a fire service. Enjoy, enjoy the opportunities. So I just started applying for jobs I'm nowhere near qualified for. And I'm, I'm like, I'm just putting stuff out there and uh, getting, you know, rejection letters back, but I'm learning about the requirements, which is also helping my education and just to push myself, you know, right. learn about this thing called the executive fire officer program, uh, staying in grad school. And, um, anyways, I get a call back from, uh, this, uh, community Tarpon Springs, Florida, uh, that I applied to be their administrative, administrative lieutenant. Now this is, Funny, probably not funny. And you're a backseat I, firefighter at this time. Backseat firefighter. So yeah. about five or six years. And I forgot I applied for Tarpon. I had to go look up like my notes. Like <laughs> Tarpon, I did apply for Tarpon Springs. And um, they're like, you know, we want you to come down and interview. We're going to do a test. And uh, well, I'm him and Han. I'm like, eh, am I going to go down there just to tell him no? <laughs> and I tell my brother. And he's like, why do you think they're going to tell you no? I said, well why would they hire from the outside? It's just not, it wasn't this common thing, right. thing then. So, uh, right. yeah. And I, and I think that, and I, I could be wrong about this, but my experience has proven that the fire service is very hierarchical, right? Right. You come in at the bottom, you get a golden parachute, you never leave here, just go up oh, the organization yeah. as high as you're going to yeah. go. And then you jump out when you retire. Right. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and it works, right. There's a, um, but, uh, I just, I just did not, feel i just didn't feel settled yeah okay and um once again nothing bad with any of these places just no and i just think it's yeah the reason i bring that up is because it's just it's feels like it's an uncommon of narrative that just might be my experience but clearly as i'm having conversations with different folks that i'm I'm seeing that that the mobility is more present for for folks than we realize yes absolutely and i think it's getting more and more uh more and more common Mm. than when we first entered too um so anyways it's winter in chicago um it's february there's a snowstorm i'm getting mm-hmm, on a plane mm-hmm. land in tampa never been there before i'm like man this is beautiful uh do the interview and um meet the chief the chief is uh this new gentleman uh steven marino from georgia and uh so i'm there and i see an internal candidate walk in i'm like wait well, I mean, this is this game's this is over. our game's over oh, you know yeah. so now i have nothing to lose and that was probably the the green light, right? Mm. And now I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be me. Yeah. And it was just that authenticity. I did the interview. I went through this thinking I'm not gonna tell them what I think they want to hear. I'm just gonna tell them who I am. But I think the key moment of the story was we we're all put in this room next to the chief's office, and he didn't say anything. He just sat in his office as we're all waiting in this room to be called for our interview with his staff. Well, I'm not wasting time. You know, I get up and I go knock on his door and he looks up at me. He's like, sir. I go, sir. He goes, may I help you? I go, yeah, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Josh Stefanik from, uh, you know, Chicago. I know who you are. And uh, he had a bunch of Alabama football stuff in his room. And, uh, man, we talked about Alabama football. We talked about everything, not fire. And, uh, and then you went in for your interview with somebody else. Then I went in for my interview with somebody else. Well, uh, sure as sure as heck, uh, a couple weeks later, um, Chief Marino calls me and uh, we want to bring you down. And uh, so Chief Marino, who's since retired, they bring me down. I'm not Florida certified. I'm not Florida licensed. He gives me a car, gives me a pager, gives me radio, tells me to get Florida certified, tells me to get my Florida medic, says, learn the system, learn the department. Whatever I ask you to do is priority, but uh, help make the department better. And uh so I pack up, leave. I never thought I'd leave Chicago suburbs. I mean, this was like, everybody's just like, wait, you're doing what? I'm like, yeah. don't worry. I'll be back in five years. <laughs> so this is 2001, right? I'll be, no, no, this is 2006, 2007. I'll be back in five years. And uh, 
Carpenter was great, man. Jack of all trades, master of nothing, administrative lieutenant position, 40 hours. Um, just this go-to person for the, the shift commanders, the fire chief, uh, uh, working on grants, working on training and just, uh, thriving, you know, running fires, helping the, the, the shift commander on scene and, um, uh, great opportunity. And, uh, you know, and I, it was at this point where I started to learn that people, people leave people, things come up and people retire and that chief who brought me down retired. And, uh, so at that point, um, other opportunity, just, just this desire to do more and, uh, ended up working for the city of Largo for the next eight years as, uh, came in as a chief officer. I had worked in, uh, as a assistant fire marshal for him, assistant emergency management chief, training chief, and then, uh, assigned back to shift 2448 as a, a shift commander. So in that area, they called them district chiefs. And I will say, looking back, that's when I, I really learned how to become a firefighter. And probably what, what makes you say that? Um, the uh, uh, honestly, just the, the raw answer to your question is the work, the um, uh, the community we worked for, the um, the incidents that we were getting. We were busy. Yeah. I guess the answer to the question we we had fire. Yeah, and uh, we had we had residents that had challenges. Yeah, and it was a different view for me. It was um, a different view than what I grew up with. And we had about 150 personnel, uh, each shift about 50 people. And here I am, 30-some years old in, a, in a, my own buggy, you know, and there was one day I went back to back to back working fires. Yeah. And I'm still that guy riding backwards at 20 years old giggling. Right. On my way to that incident. <laughs> and I was morphing Whoa. into this zone of I want – I am mastering my craft – on becoming a firefighter. Yeah. There's something about taking the skills that you have, that you've developed and then having to step back Mm -hmm. and sit in the buggy, as you call it, right. And watch the firefighters that you are responsible for out doing the job. And, and it's, it's dangerous. It is. And you can't actually affect the danger, right? Oh yeah. Other than you can get on the radio and say something, but that it's a limited impact, right? You want to learn that, hey, where the the term, where the buck stops, Mm. that buck stops with you. Mm -hmm. And once again, great mentors, uh, Brian Brady, a colleague, district chief, he was very senior to me. And he was that, he was that, um, he was that, um, he'd actually, he'd he'd support me saying this. He was that rough district chief. He was that, um, he held you accountable. He told you how he felt. And uh, we used to laugh that um, um, he'd, he'd, he'd fix it and I'd write about it. You know, we just had a good, a good relationship. But Brian, Brian taught me how to be a district chief. Brian taught me about keeping the shift running smooth Mm. and having clear expectations for our personnel. No surprises. Brian taught me about following the union contract, about following the policy, because that's what the firefighters expected. And that's what helped keep the shift running smooth. And it helped us, um, have consistent answers and decisions mm-hmm. that there were no surprises. Um, so Brian was a great mentor when, it, uh, when it became to, uh, running the shift and then working scenes. And, um, it was just such a, a good gig. And there was this moment where, um, I had a Lieutenant, uh, Emmett, Emmett Sands, he's their operations chief now where he was a Lieutenant at the station where I was at. And I was going home on vacation early around three o'clock, odd time, but I had family in town. I had to burn vacation and, uh, well, a structure fire call came in and, uh, 
I, I was running out to the car and uh, he rolled down the windows and he said, I got it, chief. You're good. And I'm like, no, I, I'm supposed to go on this call. And he just starts giggling and he pulls out. So it was this first time where I just put the radio on and I was wrapping up some emails and I still remember it. Listening to them do this job. They don't need us, right? There's, they just didn't need me. Like yeah. it's going to, they're going to secure the scene and that, and to listen to them do these things that you have talked about, that you have worked on, that they're excited, and it's these things you've worked on them with. It was just such – I hope I'm explaining that right. It was just such this enjoyable yeah. moment. Uh, you're just proud of them. You're happy. You're mm -hmm. like, man, it's happening. This is, this is happening, and it's so cool. And I try to do that with our uh, district chiefs where I work now in Safety Harbor. Hey, man, sometimes just step back and listen. And watch what your crews do. Let them work. You will be so... And whether you're at the firehouse, you're on the scene, let them work. And um, you will be so blown away about the product they deliver. So there's a Bruno quote that I that you just reminded me of. Yeah. Hire good people. Mm -hmm. Train them. Oh, yeah. Give them the tools and get out of the way. Heck, yeah, man. And Absolutely. I think, I think about that. Now, that's a, it's super simple, right, to say it. But it does take deliberate work yes. to, to get people to that point, right? Oh, you yeah. didn't get to a point where you could sit in your office, listen on the radio, no. and, and be like, oh, look at oh, him go. Yeah, man. That took that took effort. Oh, yeah. So so what were some of the things that you did as a district chief to to ensure the success of your folks? Sure. So I think uh, it was that point where I've uh, always been a podcast fan. So there's a podcast I listen to called Manager Tools. Mm -hmm. And it's um, it's not fire-based. It's not government-based. It's, um, it's really private business space but it's um it's management it's people stuff mm. um i really became a fan of one-on-ones mm -hmm. um and intentionally meeting with your people and the one-on-one -on -one isn't my meeting with the individual that reports to me it is their meeting hey you have my undivided attention for a specific mm. amount of time mm -hmm. per week and uh tell me what you're thinking give me the feedback i'm going to give you feedback and we are going to intentionally and it's all about relationships yeah and we're going to build this relationship because there's going to be at some point where I'm going to have to give you some feedback. It's going to be uncomfortable for me. It's going to be uncomfortable from you. But we have built up such a great relationship that we know that's more important. And um, it allows us to focus on the job, uh, the work at hand. Um, because think about it. You go, I don't have these one-on-ones. I don't build this relationship. And here I'm going to go knock on somebody's door at their firehouse. And I'm going to do a withdrawal from a relationship that we, we haven't built. And, uh, I just, I, I, I've been there, uh, on both ends and it just takes so much time to, to recover. Right. And I think the big thing too, is getting on the same page. Once again, I mentioned about, uh, expectations, clear expectations, um, that, uh, going back to that, that uh, senior district chief who taught me, we will always do what's best for the community. I've had a couple mentors, and I, I, I have shared that through my organization. If we're on the same page that we're going to do the best for the organization or the community, not necessarily the individual, we'll consider the individual, but the biggest thing is the job. If we're all in agreement on that, um, that helps and that has helped in that situation when I was at District Chief. And, and um, I think being able to have those honest conversations, which are not easy, and um, – uh, also, I think reading the room is important, right? Like knowing when you should be there, knowing when you shouldn't be there and allowing those company officers to do their job 
and to, to exercise, exercise what you've taught them or to exercise the policy. Um, learning about one-on-ones too, I think the biggest thing is um, how we correct change and behavior and, and discipline. I'll wrap it all up to one word, but I think a, a big thing for me is um, we correct things going forward. Okay. I can't, we can't change the past. And, um, but Hey, let's, let's talk about it. Or one-on-one, we're not going to knee jerk react. Let's talk about this issue. Um, here's why, tell me what you did, or here's why I think we should do different. Hey, going forward, let's do it this way. And you could, you, that could be a, a, an immediate major thing. That could be something you could wait to talk about. But I think it's so important that if we start with, Hey man, even out in the floor, uh, apparatus bay floor, walk around. Hey, 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 going forward, when you check that chainsaw again, let it sit off onto the side, let that, let that engine get warmed up. I can't change the past. Right. And I'm not going to smack you. But hey, man, going forward, let's create the clear expectation and champion that. You know what's interesting? I, I hear an element of ownership in that. Mm. Because when you come in and you recognize that, in, that a, a member was doing something that was sideways, whatever, whatever yeah. it might have been. Yeah, sure. Who's responsible for that? Oh, yeah. I, so they have yeah. some culpability, clearly. Right. But ultimately, like we said a minute ago, you're responsible for making sure they have the training they need. And frankly, no matter where you are in the organizational level, part of that responsibility is yours. Oh, yeah. Right? And especially if you're their direct supervisor, but on up the chain of command, there's things that you could have done to influence right. that person's training and, and education. So yeah. if somebody has something crazy, you're like, hmm. Yeah, they were. Their behavior was out of alignment. Right. But were there? What do? What were the expectations? Absolutely. Do they well, know what they are? Well, so I had a boss in Largo, uh, Chief Willis, uh, Shelby Willis. She's out in uh, Ogden, Utah now. But she was she was a big fan of that and champion of that. Did they know? She would always ask. Did they know? I'm like, interesting question. Well, they should have known, Chief. She goes, I get it. They should have. Should. Mm. But did they? And right. who should have realized it? And um, so I think that's important. It goes back to those expectations. When I came to Safety Harbor, so do Largo for eight years and then uh, get this opportunity in Safety Harbor. And uh, um, that was something always important for me. And what I told them during the interview is that uh, I think it's important when a firefighter arrives at firehouse, they know what's in store for the day. Um, I'm a fan of routine. I'm a fan of uh, a method. You know, uh, methodolog- uh, there's a method to my madness and, uh, you know, and, but I think it's important where I know what's going to happen on Mondays on uh, Monday afternoons or, uh, besides a call, I know on Thursday mornings, you know, it's a training day. And, um, I think expectations come through the union contract. You know, it's not the union's contract. It's not my, it's our contract. This is what we have agreed on and worked on. So this is the clear expectation. Right. Um, these are the policies and procedures. If they're not working, let's change them. Let's change them together. Um, and nothing's perfect. We're not perfect, but let's acknowledge that too from the get-go um, and that we're going to have issues. But I think that expectation and clearing that up so we can go forward together is, uh, is essential and it's been successful for me as a district chief and which actually helped me uh, get to that opportunity to become, uh, become a fire chief. So how did you know you were ready to make that transition to that <laughs> level? So, uh, you know, once again, you know, you get that, those little bugs and prompts and um it was nothing uh uh i i thought i could do it i'm like you know what i i think i could do this i think i want this opportunity and uh i think i'd like the challenge and the the hunt and um you know working on school and that you know i'm the guy i i could get i could get this job so i'd started applying in uh 
probably started applying for jobs in 2013, 2014, you know, once again, probably not uh, meeting all the, you know, job qualifications, probably definitely out of my league, definitely way nowhere near ready, ready for it. And, um, uh, had some interviews, uh, 2015 started getting some interviews and, um, one time, uh, a finalist and, uh, I tell you what, that was work. It was work, uh, pursuing a fire chief's job and stressful. Um, you know, you go into this vortex cause you want to be that great candidate and you want to learn everything you can about that organization and you learn about rejection. You learn about how to handle rejection. Part of the process, right? Mm -hmm. As hard as it is, it's part of the process. And having these great mentors to explain that to me. But to be top three for a great community, I mean, you've moved there in your head, right? You're, And then it's, okay, it's a no. Now you got to tell your family. You got to tell people. And uh, your you're, you're, you're tails between your legs and you're embarrassed. What did I do wrong? And um, and, uh, and it's, it's nothing. It's just... What I've learned from people is this, sometimes it's just not the best fit. You got to yeah. wait till it's the best fit. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, everything's going great in uh, in Largo and I'm the fire marshal. I have this great office. I'm 30 some years old. I've got this great courtyard in front of me and everything's fine. And uh, all of a sudden I get a call from a neighboring community, Safety Harbor. It says, um, HR director, you know, we'd love for you to apply for this job. I'm like, all right, sure. You know, I'll think about it. And, um, you know, I had applied, thought of it, same community, uh, same county, you know, uh, part of our consortium of, of agencies there and go through the application period, do some interviews. Um, I'm a finalist and um, I, I pull out of the I pull out of the process. I just I wasn't settled. I wasn't mm. something wasn't right. And um, there was nothing wrong with Safety Harbor. There's nothing wrong with Largo. I was just I wasn't excited to leave Largo. I was excited about Safety Harbor. I just wasn't excited to leave Largo because I was comfortable. Mm-hmm. I knew what was happening. Like, yeah. uh, and so I, I put it aside. I'm like, all right, safe, Safety Harbor, this is, isn't done. I'll stay here for a couple more years. There'll be years. a job in yeah. the future. And, and, and so, of course, you know how it is with all the rumor mills. This, this thing spreads through our county super quick. Uh, Stefanik's out, you know, you know uh, and everybody's you know, maneuvering all these other uh, you know, discussions. And uh, about a week later... I'm sitting at a funeral for, uh, we had a logistics guy that had passed away. I'm sitting in a funeral on a Friday afternoon and my, my phone starts vibrating in my pocket and I'm sitting there thinking, man, this is them. This is safe. This is, this is the place I, you said, uh, Hey, just not now. And, uh, sure as heck it was. So call them back and, um, they go, Hey, I'm like, Hey, and it's the HR director. She's like, yeah, city manager really wants to, um, go out to lunch with you. I go, really? She goes, yeah. We're not accepting your We're not your accepting refusal. your rejection, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, I go, uh, I go, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll meet Matt. I'll meet Mr. Spoor for lunch. She goes, well, first off, it's Matt, not Mr. Spoor. I go, all right, I'll meet Matt for lunch. <laughs> all about relationships, right, and best fit. So um, like, where are we going to meet for lunch? And it's like, well, there's this barbecue place in Clearwater. Meet there. So, of course, the whole weekend now, like my whole world's upside down. Like I moved this to the side. It wasn't going to happen. And, uh, so come Tuesday, you know, I'm meeting them for lunch. Nobody knows from Largo I'm going. So I take an extended uh, afternoon off. I'm, I'm changing into a suit in a back stock room and the two janitors from Largo are seeing me and they're like, what are you doing? So I show up to this barbecue joint in my suit 
the city manager walks in and like we're in, like he just got off the you know he just finished 18 at the golf course and he sees me and um he's wearing sunglasses and he's just laughing he's like come on man let's let's sit and uh it was a five minutes in i'm like man this is this is a great relationship this is a we are hitting it off and uh he asked me he says uh why'd you pull out the process and i told him how you know i wasn't excited about leaving largo i'm excited about safety harbor but you know i want you to know like i want to i want to i want to do these things and he's like well whatever these things are i want you to to do for us and uh um and uh i got the gig and um so you go back to how do you know you're ready right so they call me they offer me the job and i'm in my office and i i sit back i of course i accept the job and i sit back and i say to myself well shit now what you know like now what do you do it just got real it just got real it just got real and um but just like when I got that paramedic license, just like when you got that driver operator cert, uh, that company officer designation, yeah. first day as district chief, my first day as yes. fire chief, it was like that first day, nervous, you want to yeah. succeed. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you wait till you're ever ready. I just don't know if that's ever going to happen. So when you look back on your life and you say like all these different first times yeah. and we were nervous, even, what was it, 40 minutes ago, oh, the beginning yeah. of this podcast. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm nervous about a podcast. Right? I'm like, yeah, it's your first time. Oh, yeah. And so the first time you do something, there's that, there's so much unknown, right? Mm-hmm. Am I going to be able to respond appropriately in this situation, right? right? Do you I know? have what it takes? Yeah. I remember the first time rolling out as a battalion chief, you know, on a working fire and I see it, see the illumination on the skyline yeah. as I'm coming around yeah. the corner in the dark and I'm like, holy crap, right. this is for it's, real. It's real. It's right? happening. I grab the mic and think to myself, okay, am I, you know, how's this going to go? Right. Take a deep breath. Right. Give your best radio voice. Right? Oh yeah, that's it. Hey, you, <laughs> I tell you, it's on scene. You know, I just. Hey, I worked with a. I rode with a battalion chief in Largo. His thing was, I did the breath. He did a giggle. <laughs> I rolled with my turn to look at him. I go, "What was that?" He goes, "I don't know, man. I just always do this little giggle to calm me down." And he'd been doing it for years. I'm like, "We all do this." He goes, "We all do it." Yeah. And one guy did a little whistle before he talked on it. But um, you know, I think when you're talking about that being in that situation, I think what is really important for um, people in our, in our industry is that we're all nervous, yes. right? The day we're not nervous or uh, is probably a little bit scary. Maybe we shouldn't, maybe there's something we need to reconsider, mm-hmm. but not only are we nervous, but I think the key is we move through the objective, right? We move through it and we get right. done and we make a decision mm-hmm. and get it done. And we try to do what's best for the community and the organization. Right. It, I, to add to that, I think if you're not a little nervous, if you're not a little mm-hmm. scared, are you really invested? Right. Do you really care about the outcome? Oh yeah. Are you worried about how it's going to turn out? Right. right? How people are going to respond? You know, you know, you talk about just all these things that we find ourselves doing, you know, some of them are very dangerous and the oh, outcomes yeah. can be very bad. Sure. And we're accountable to those individuals who are on the line, but and to their to their families and the community and the, you know, the extended chain of of folks that are connected to that well do you believe in continuous improvement right do right. you want to make it better um right and i think our you know we talk about hot washes or post-incident analyses and um uh, I, I always joke that uh uh we need to do more than just say good job mm-hmm. right we say good job but um mm-hmm. we need a uh, good job but i know that's hard for some people right but i think it's um i think this this culture of continuous improvement how we do it safer how we do it better um, somebody told me the story of, uh, 
the University of Alabama football team, you know, the coach is not at halftime telling them, hey, how great they did and, you know, we're going to do great <laughs> the next half. Hey, man, you did great, but, hey, here's some other things we mm. could tighten up on and uh, and do it even better. And, right. uh, uh, I remember when I was a district chief, I would I'd get back, I'd have a gas leak or a structure fire call, and I'd go right back to the policy. I'd read the policy. All right, man, did I meet the expectations of the organization? And then when it got really fun, I would talk to the crews, and we would have an idea. Hey, baby, we want to try this. So I would put a little post-it note on the steering wheel, and uh, it would be like uh, uh, truck driver operator equals 360 and ladders, uh, or gas leak equals level two staging, like these prompts, because uh, we knew we were going to get this call, but we talked about it. Now we're going to apply it and try it and uh, continuous improvement. It was just a, right. it was just a fun thing. Right. Yeah. I had a, a boss once who told me, he's like, he goes, I've, of all the fires I've ever been on, not a single one of them went perfectly. Correct. Right. It's right. always a train wreck. It's always. controlled chaos. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's okay to make mistakes. But it's not okay to repeat those mistakes again and again and again. Right. So it's so important to stop and have a tailboard and say, all right, everybody was safe. Yep. Right. Everyone, everyone got out uninjured. Mm-hmm. Right. We put out the fire. Now let's talk about how we can be better at this job. It's such an important Absolutely. phase and of I that think, operation. You know, one of the things that I think I get sensitive to is uh, things over the radio and these acts, these things we do that could, we could do better. Um, and we have everybody, we have future officers listening, right? We have junior firefighters on the fire ground. And one thing that worries me is I get, I get sensitive to, um, uh, you know, if, if something just doesn't go as, Hey, as planned or it's something we didn't talk about and man, how do we fix it throughout the other 20 some members who are on scene? Like, Mm. how do we get the message out that, Hey, this worked. But it wasn't exact, and here's how we should be doing it. Mm-hmm. And don't think that that's because the way we did it is the way we want you to do it again. Um, you know, uh, firefighter so and so who's on trade time from the other side of town, um, because we're working. You know, my organization we're working every third day. We have so many different people, right? And it's just uh, uh, to me, I think us as uh, in the fire service supervisors, leaders, managers, chief officers. Um, to get that message out, it's, uh, it's difficult. And especially when you're, all right, I got everybody right where I want them. This is where we're going to do it. We're going to, every structure fire call, we're going to talk about water supplies. And then it's missed on one. It's like, oh man, 21 firefighters just heard that. All right. We have to repeat the message again. We have to be that broken record. Um, I, I always preach to it's okay to be a broken record. It means you're sharing the story and you're sharing the right story. And if you forget, if you told the person you've told it to, um, if you're, you should, as a leader and manager, you should be confused on whether or not you told somebody something because that means you're repeating it and you're repeating the expectation. Yeah. And don't apologize for saying it again. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm just this saying is it. A, this is an important message to me. I'm going to say this again. This is what we've probably already heard it. Good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you heard it, repeat it back to me. And we could do it in a fun way, right? Like yeah, I do it, guys, guys will laugh and I'm like, yeah, I, I just got to say, cause you guys know this is, this is what's important to us and to me. Yeah. No, I think that's really important. So let's talk about the. So I, I can I almost want to put it fill in the gap here when I ask this question. Like, what keeps you up at night? And part of me think is thinking, it's recognizing that you may not have reached all your folks with the desired message. Right. But that's what I'm filling in the gap for you. But you tell me when, as as the <clears throat> as the chief of department, you know, what are the things that keep you up at night? 
Sure. Um, you know, I think we all have those. Uh, we should have those because um, we want to do great. And, you know, we want to create these great organizations and we, we want, I want to create this atmosphere that we are, regardless of the number of stations we have, you know, we're in an urban area and I think every firefighter who listens, we want, we want to be kick-ass firefighters. You know, we want to, we want to do this work and we want to do it well. And, um, I think one of the things that keep me up at night is, uh, and we talked about feedback to people. Um, one of the things that does stress, stress me out, not necessarily overwhelm me, but stresses me out is, um, when we do build these relationships, which are absolutely important, um, it is not easy to give, I would say feedback. It is difficult. The, the more intense or more tense the feedback is, it's, it's harder and harder. It is. Uh, like you said, you get nervous when you get that, that first structure fire call, right? As that newly promoted DC, and then you get more comfortable with it and you work through the objective, um, personnel issues are, are challenging and hard because you want all your members to succeed. You, you get to know their families, you get to know their spouses and children. Um, but what keeps me up at night is that if we're truly going to always do what's best for the community, if that's going to be our, our primary North star and not saying we're not going to do good things for the shift or the personnel. They're up there too. But if we all agree that our North star and our true North is always do what's best for the community and the organization is that, and we're going to have these, we are going to have hard and difficult conversations. Um, and I think a lot of it comes down to personnel issues and I'm sure there's people listening. Ah, it's easy to, to handle this or to give out discipline or, or to talk to people or to, to demote them. And, um, man, I don't think it should be. I think it's a serious issue and, um, and you know, I will, that, that's what keeps me up at night chief is that, do I have what it takes to deliver that message? Well, I know I could deliver the message, but when I'm presented with that challenge, am I going to do it? I know I could do it for the organization, but that's still a human being. And what's the next step for them? And I still love them and care about them. And, uh, and I've always told people, I want you to be happy. I've told new firefighters that come in, hey, at some point, you know, leaving, we need to consider when we leave. And you're, I want you to be happy. If you're not happy here, I want you to be happy. And um, uh, I hope that makes it does. sense. If it, could, it, it absolutely does. The thing that occurs to me as you say that, um, there's this thing that pops into my head is the, uh, I, I like to call it the lifetime employment model, mm. right? We hire folks who are going to do a career, right? typically, right. in the fire service, right? So- we want to invest in them. We want them to be successful. We want them to be really good at their job. Sure. And and in order for us to fulfill the primary mission, which is to serve the community in an all-hazards environment, mm-hmm. in order to make that happen, we've got to have really, really good people yeah. who are capable of executing the mission. Yeah. And so if we take care of our people, they'll take care of the community. Right. Right. That's how I look at it. And, and so, and then <laughs> to your point, if we have somebody who goes off the rails – in whatever fashion, right? We could probably right. talk about a hundred different ways. Intentional or not. Yeah. Right. A hundred different ways someone could go sideways. What did we as an organization do to fail that person? Yeah. And it goes back to a little bit to ownership, right? And I don't think it's the fire chief's own problem completely, but I think there's a lot of steps in that chain of command that can impact that. 
and there's a lot of elements in the organization, right? Like, oh, absolutely. Sometimes it's mental health, but we don't typically we don't. I had a, one of my guys on at work. He says he'll say we don't hire junkies, right? We don't, no. right? But sometimes they become that way because of injury, yeah. because of mental health issues, etc. And so, what do we do in our organization to help those people survive? Well, and I think you know, and I hope you know, just um, you know, I know you have a lot of uh, uh, firefighters who you know. Um, some may, you know, I'm sure you have them uh, from across uh, across the landscape, right? Some that want to be promoted, some that don't want to be promoted. Sure. Uh, which there's nothing. I mean, <laughs> hey, they got it made. Like they have the best job in the world, right? They they are doing it. They are delivering that product, and they do a great job doing it. Um, but if there's one thing, like I think through this conversation that they may not know is that I think you would agree with me is that they're they're supervisors their bosses so desperately want them to be happy and to succeed and do good things. And that when there are these decisions made, um, they will, they will carry out their mission and do it, but know that there's, they are human on the inside and it's not easy for them. And they're working through this objective and, um, just something to consider for those who want to be promoted or those who go through it or see this is that, you know, we're all human and I'm not trying to, you know, for us as officers, oh, what was us or anything in the world. But, um, but it is, it's not, it's not easy. And, yeah. um, um, there are challenges. Right. Well, I, I think of it in terms sometimes as, you know, we're all in the same boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have different positions and functions in the boat, mm-hmm. but we're all yep. have to row the boat to get it to where it needs to be. And Amen. it takes all of us. So yeah, it's a, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a really good point. Um, so I'm going to shift gears on you just a little bit. Absolutely. So here we are at the IFSA Winter Conference, right? And you are the vice chair. Yes. Um, so congratulations. Thank you. Um, so when we talk about participating in, uh, I call it extracurriculars, right? Sure. Stuff outside of our organization. Right. Clearly, that's something you value. I'm here too, so clearly it's something I value. So from your perspective, um, what is the benefit to the individual? What is the benefit to the fire service? So, so. Uh, let me answer that in two ways. So let me uh, let me first uh, state that I am I am excited about IFSA. I am um, like I said I, I love my department. I love Oklahoma State. I love IFSA, and uh, I think we just do great great work. And well, here's what excites me about IFSA: whether you're a member or not, it has touched you. Everybody, whether it's the Essentials Manual or company officer, or chief officer, or uh, driver operator, IFSA has touched everyone in the fire service. And I have been, I've had the opportunity to uh, represent IFSA at some conferences. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have tables set up near all the vendors. And people walk by vendors. They do a double take when they see the IFSA table. They smile. They laugh. They look at the essentials manual. And they, they open it and they thumb through it. And it's this nostalgic thing back back to their academy. Right. Um, and I, I love the fact that IFSA is this organization that is always there, whether it's through um, uh, CFSI, CPSE. Uh, I mean, our executive board has an I, IFF members, an IF, IFC member. We have the chair of the CPSE. I mean, it is just this... 90 year anniversary birthday coming up it is just this constant i think for the u.s fire service and um i am so honored and blessed to be the vice chair um to be on the executive board uh to be a committee member 
and it's fun to me. It's not work. It is this extracurricular. And um, I have to thank my boss too because he lets me he lets me do this thing. He's excited about it. You know, I, I am here representing the city of Safety Harbor first and foremost. And um, it just happens to be me, uh, Chief Stefansic. And uh, I just think it's, it's this great melting pot of representatives from the U.S. Fire Service and uh, those who contributed to it from the private sector to the public sector. Obviously, a majority of our committee members are from um, – local government, you know, firefighters, but we do have, uh, military, uh, department of defense firefighters. We have private firefighters. We have manufacturers, um, with the goal of how do we transfer knowledge and educate firefighters to do great work, to continuously improve, to do, to deliver great, um, public safety to those who call 911. I mean, I just think it's this, um, this cool thing that I feel, um, we will always have. We always need this uh, transfer of knowledge. And what's different about IFSA, just just a plug for IFSA, because uh, there's there's a lot of uh, you know reputable publishers out there. But IFSA is the only manual that has um, experienced firefighters on the street doing the work who are validating what is in uh, what is in these books. So it is the uh, it is current, it is applicable, and the best part is is that every book has that that complaint form. And if you don't like it, let us know. And what's great, too, if you really don't like it, we're going to invite you to be on our next committee. And we want your input to help fix it. So um, when it comes down to the individual, I think it's important to give back. I think it's important to share what we've learned. And a lot of people invested in us. And I think it's important we invest in them. And uh, sort of tied to that mentor-mentee thing, right? And how do we we get that message out? And uh, how do we share... I mean, look at you and I. We've uh, from two different parts of the country, working on similar manuals, uh, sharing our experiences to share your story um, in uh, Phoenix and my story from Florida, and um, make sure that the firefighter in uh, Nebraska um, has like almost selfish if we don't share those stories, right? To make it better and safer. So, yeah, yeah. I you know I sat on my very first book was Essentials Eighth Edition, and. Okay. Great. Well, what a great first oh, yeah, book, right? And you hit the lottery on that one. It was so one. cool. Yeah. And what was really cool, the favorite, my favorite takeaway from that, um, it was really, the experience was like, for me, I got the experience more yeah. than I gave oh. the book, right? Oh, yeah. And sitting there with firefighters from all the across the country, that's a pretty big committee because it's a big book, and you've got firefighters from agencies that are tiny, mm-hmm. fire, major metropolitan fire departments, and the the, the difference in experiences and um education levels and just all the different types of stuff and and firefighters are really cut from the same cloth everywhere you go right the circus is you know there's different clowns the circuses are all the same oh yeah same show right (laughs) right same show and we have so much in common right we're stronger together yeah so it's really fascinating to have that and it's really neat to sit down with firefighters from across the country and have conversations and we you know, got hung up on a couple of different things but someone's like well you know when you have a first alarm and i'm like time out i go what's a first alarm to you right, right? yeah that's like a three-in-one to me and okay. you know a first alarm to me is like you know significantly more apparatus oh, wow. but in my neck of the woods we have this huge regional automatic aid system at the click of a button i could have 200 fire trucks right, right? not so much the case in yeah. rural america or the frontier lands, right? right? Yeah. I, yeah just, right. I just learned about that designation today, right? Frontier fire departments. I think it's like two people per square mile or right. something like that. It's ridiculous. So it's just all across 
our country in North America, it's different. Mm -hmm. And so bringing our collective heads together and having conversations about how we do this better, more effective for the the group coming behind us oh, yeah. is really important. Well, sort of sobering, right? So you and I are both in urban urban fire departments, and mm-hmm. we talk about company officers and the work they do. And when you read these texts, and you'll read, well, the, the, the firefighter needs to know how to do you know, uh, X, Y, and Z. And for you and I, would be like, well, the firefighter doesn't do that. The company officer does. <laughs> and then this sort of hit, have it hit over your head of, hey, not everybody's as from the departments as fortunate as you and mm-hmm. there are two people mm-hmm. and it is a firefighter with two years in the front right seat and they are going to have to do that there are firefighters in rural america that are making decisions that fire that company officers in our area would never make just because it's it's left with the chief officer right um and they are making those real world decisions without right. anybody else to help them so yeah it yeah. is um what an industry huh yeah. What a cool industry to be a no, part of. No, it's fantastic. I mean, and it, yeah. it's it's neat to be able to participate in that. So um, what are some other, you know, when you encourage firefighters to to get outside their walls, what sure. are some things you encourage them to do? You know. Um, participate uh, in IFSA, obviously. Yeah, obviously IFSA. But if they don't, that's okay. This is my route. This yeah. is the route I want. Yeah. So I what are went. some other things you suggest? So um, honestly, I push so much out to our organization of opportunities that come out. And um I've made a commitment that if somebody knocks on my door, I'm going to send them where they want. And I will work hard to get them to where they want to go. Um, and I get it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not naive to think the entire organization is going to want to do those things. But those who want, um, it's not going to be the department that keeps them from getting there. So um, uh, I would say everything from whether it's local or to national, um, you know, I, I got a firefighter asking to go to FDIC. Absolutely. Submit. And you know what? And here's where I think the mentoring begins. I'm not going to do the proposal or the budgeting. If you want to go, you work on the proposal, you work on the budgeting, run it up through the chain of command. Do I have funding? Yes. Will I discuss it? Absolutely. But um, uh, you tell me how we're going to get you there. Uh, so FDIC, um, Fire Rescue East in Florida, and all the way to, and this one, this is, uh, I'm going to a little nerd out on this one. I got a guy going to a two-day data analysis class in St. Petersburg. It's just going to be Excel spreadsheet stuff about how we use our data that we collect in the fire service. And it's a three-year firefighter. I'm jacked up that he's going. He's jacked up that he's going. And um, I think it's important to understand that the fire service is um, it's more than Safety Harbor, right? It's, uh, it's more than Phoenix. It's, it's, there are these other avenues and venues that I so desperately I wish all of them would want to go and get a taste of it, but uh, I know they won't. So those who come to me, I definitely want to try to get them there. You know, I'm not, um, I'm a Florida Fire Chiefs Association member, but um, my outlet, my my extracurricular is IFSTA. I'm dedicated to that. So trying to get um, and encouraging my district chiefs to get involved, if they want, as an outlet, as an extracurricular, Florida Fire Chiefs Association. And I think that... Um, and I get it, right? Everybody's everybody's busy. Everybody, especially you know, first and foremost, you know, families. Our families are important. Um, this is our job, but just to get that exposure of, uh, I think it's important that we don't get. And I think you and I would both agree to this: institutionalized. Mm-hmm. That there's other ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. The way we do it may work. The way we do it may be the best way, but the way we do it may we may be able to improve, prove upon how we deliver. Yeah. 
how we deliver this product of the U.S. Fire Service to yeah. uh, those who call 911. I think it's so important to entertain uh, challenging ideas or ideas that challenge our current operational context. Right. It may prove it may prove what we are doing is accurate. Yeah. Or we might have we might find something new. Oh yeah. Uh, either way, you got to figure it out because you know talk about continuous improvement. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. Um, well, hey, I know it's uh, we're running long. It's time to go to dinner. So I'm going to ask you a couple of rapid sure, fire absolutely. questions to pull us to a close. Absolutely. To uh, and to help us understand a little bit more about who you are. Right. Um, okay. These are kind of some wild questions, but here you go. What's something you believe that other people think is crazy or ridiculous? What do I believe that other people think is ridiculous? Um, yeah. So um, uh, one things that I I know other people think is crazy is. Uh, I always set my parking brake, and I learned this when I became a district chief. Uh, a guy Did you have an me. incident? I think more of us have had incidents than not. <laughs> so I haven't had an incident, but I've been close. So this guy's teaching me teaching me how to be a district chief, you know, our shift commanders, and um, he told me, I still remember, set your parking brake. I go, what? He goes, I'm telling you. He goes, kid, set your parking brake. I go, really? He goes, yeah. So uh um, so I always get into the habit and he catch me taking, I say, Hey man, park, parking brake. I'm telling you. <laughs> so sure as heck, I pull up, this is like my second or third working fire and, uh, a lot going through your head, right? Yes. So I go, um, and, uh, I, I go on scene. I go to get out of the car and I take my foot off that brake and I scoot forward. And right there I go parking brake. <laughs> I didn't put it on. <laughs> so to this day, my habit is park. And parking brake. And uh, when um, the guys will wash the car, and like parking brake's on. We know. <laughs> you and your parking brake. I had a DC. I borrowed my car one day. He goes, man, something's wrong with your car. I was running down the road. And he go, I go, he goes, and then I realized it was the parking brake. So we may have to get something uh, checked out. But uh, there have been these times. I've had colleagues, not in my current community. They've gone back to their buggy. And uh, it's it's down the road in the, in a ditch because they didn't set their parking brake. But, yeah, I think that fits the bill. Parking like brake. I like it. Okay. What's one horrible recommendation that you've heard people give? Well, obviously, there's the, well, we've always done it that way. You know, I, I, I think that's a horrible recommendation. Um, I think uh, the recommendations that, uh, in one way, it's told the people sitting in the back of fire truck to, you know, shut the F up um, or at the kitchen table. And I'm not just saying firefighters um, and just sort of expand it, but shutting people down. And not letting them uh, say what. Then I get it right. I get you know in our positions and reading the room, and it's it's hard to even for junior firefighters, you yeah. know, and um, uh, you know, just you know, I get it. You know, uh, more ears, less mouth, and uh, you know, I, I I get it. I've done it. I, I know there's importance to it too to listen, but um, there's a way to do it. And mm-hmm. um, I think when it comes to the point where it's uh, we are all human beings, and um, we're all men, we're all women, mm-hmm. and um. Um, I don't, don't, don't agree with that. Okay. So let me flip it. Yeah. What's one, the best piece of advice you've ever heard? Um, I'll say one that, uh, I've gotten and one I've, uh, taken. Okay. Um, go to counseling Hmm. and, uh, I tell you what it is. Uh, I go once a month and, uh, I just started going like a, a year ago and, uh, if you had asked me this question a year, uh, nine months ago, I would never have told you this answer. This would have been this thing that only I know, uh, this, this stigma. And I know there's listeners, and I say this for those listening. 
that um, of how refreshing it is and of how important it is. And there is no stigma. And whatever you think it is, don't worry about it. And um, I have started sharing that more and more. And now I'm sharing, really sharing it uh, on here because I do believe in it and how healthy it is. And just to be able to sit and talk to somebody who necessarily isn't a colleague or um, a family member. It's not rumor. It's not gossip. And also have a professional sometimes look at you from your thoughts and tell you, well, no, Josh, isn't that just silly? Some things we think are silly. And sometimes I said this, we have to show ourselves some grace. We have to show others mercy. We have to let ourselves down from the cross. Yeah, I mean, it's just sometimes we're just our biggest critics and we're so hard on ourselves. And um, uh, I also recognize that uh, I am blessed and fortunate. There are other people out there struggling that have some serious, serious issues going on. Uh, when I go to counseling, my counselor has even said, you know, you're, this is, this is just this, for me, it's this enjo- just enjoyable thing. Do I, we all talk about problems and stuff, but to get to this point where you, you get into a maintenance phase with a professional counselor, um, I will tell you, I don't care how much it costs, but it's money, money well spent. And um, I will tell you this, my subordinates love it. And I told them, I laughed. I go, I go to counseling. They go, thank goodness, because we're tired of being your counselors. You don't pay us enough. But um, but it is funny. So that's um, that's some advice I, I throw out there, especially as we learn more and more about things that uh, our colleagues and our brothers and sisters are dealing with. Um, I definitely recommend that. Yeah. So Good. Well, thank you yeah. for sharing that, because yeah, I, I do think that's a very important message. Yes. And um, I, too. Oh, great. Go to therapy. Awesome. It's, I think awesome. It's, it's well worth it. Good. Good for you. Um, okay. Last question. Yes, sir. Podcast is called the Fireground Fitness Podcast. Right. And being fireground fit means a lot of things to a lot mm-hmm. of different people. What does it mean to you? Here's what it mean, means to me. And uh, I know you and I talked about this a little bit before the, the show. Um, I believe in management. And I know some people probably just heard that and they uh, sort of cringe, but I just want to, I don't think management, and I say it as a, it's not a dirty word. And um, when I get into management, I think it's, uh, I go back to clear expectations, um, be honest, be kind, be direct, be a good manager, learn your job, learn your craft, Um, try to think less and worry less about being a leader. And if you learn how to do your gig, when you look over your shoulder, guess what? There's going to be people following you. And and why I tied that into firefighter fitness, I, I tied that to the performance we do on the fire ground of the critical incident, um, the water supply, um, pulling the correct line, uh, how do we get to the call, wearing our seatbelt, um, communicating with command, the commanders communicating with our personnel, how we treat our dispatchers. Um, so I think that is, uh, I think that, you know, in our in my organization, you could ask any member who works for the City Safety Harbor Fire Department, what is our number one? What are our top priorities? And their calls, preparing for calls and preventing calls. And our call is the most important thing. And um, the organization knows that. And it's so cool to see them take action for that. But I think that all starts with that with that management thing. And it's not, it's not a dirty term. It's not a bad term. Um, we have... The U.S. Fire Service, our organization's desires and needs and has great, great managers who know their job and know their craft and uh, help get those other ones to where they need to be. And if you if you identify this performance gap between what you expect and, and what they're delivering, they don't know. They don't know. Let them know. Tell them. 
and tell them going forward what you what you expect. And uh, I think you'll be they'll be surprised about what they see. Right on, Chief. Thank you so much for taking some time to share. You know a little bit of your time and your talents it. and your uh, your experience with us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, sir. Hey, folks, that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you, Chief Stefancic, for sharing your time with us. Now, if you are looking for this podcast, go to any platform, uh, subscribe. It's, the episodes will drop in the middle of the night. And if you want to share some feedback, you can feel free to reach out to me on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, you can reach out to me by email at raingray at firegroundfitness.com or go on over to Apple Podcasts, rate and review the podcast. That helps grow the audience, helps helps other people find it, etc. Now, the most important thing is you take the lessons you've learned here in today's episode. You go out and you apply them in your lives. Lean into whatever it is you're doing, whether you're in the fire service or you're in a related field or you're doing something completely different. Go out there and live your best life. Go on now. Get after it. Get some.